Two Fit Crazies and Microphone podcast is brought to you by Vox. That's V-O-X-X, Human Performance Technology. And what is Vox? What we're looking at is wellness and lifestyle socks, insoles, and 24-hour wearable neuro patches. And Brian, I've actually worn these socks before, and I love them. Okay, I think they're good. great. Yeah, so that you know they have um, independent studies that show that they've uh, or, or, you know can help increase stamina, endurance, and recovery, and and uh, you know some stability, and uh, you know a whole lot more. So we've got information on this on our website. Uh, so definitely go and check that out at twofitcrazies.com under uh, podcast sponsor tabs. Who else are we sponsored by, Christine Conti? We are also sponsored by Conti Fitness, the best in online and personal training, a little mindset coaching as well, yoga, whatever you need, ContiFitness.net. As well as High Five Health and Fitness. So we create positive change in your life with online health coaching from High Five Health and Fitness. That's HighFiveHealthAndFitness.com. Again, all this and more on our uh, podcast sponsor tab on the Two Fit Crazies website. Go check it out. It's Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazies. And that microphone. We are where it's at. Brian, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Nice. Uh-huh. It's hot, it's humid, it's summer, it's Jersey Shore. It's like really here. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I have been out there running in the soupy heat, loving it. People are like dying. And I'm like, yeah. Heat w- all day. All day I'll run in the heat. You can keep your cold winters. Forget it. I always say that like all winter long, all we want it to be is warm. And then when it gets warm, You're we like, turn on oh our air God. conditioning and we're like, you know, we complain about it and we want it to be cold again. It's like, no, 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 no. It's okay. You know, and, uh, and it's been, it's been, it's nice. Get out early. Just get it done. We're crying out loud. And if you go to the gym and you can say, it's so hot in here and all this stuff, like you're going to a gym. Expect, expect to sweat. Some, yeah, but sometimes our, my gym that, that I work at primarily, the training room in Manasquan, is it's a big shed. Like at one point it, it had like um, trucks and building. You know, it's like a big shed almost. It's like an aluminum shed. So it does not get – it doesn't stay too cool in there. I mean the air conditioning works and it's pumping. But Are the people like, it's kind of humid in here. And I tell everyone, <laughs> it's humid everywhere, people. Nah. It doesn't just go away. We got a good bunch in there. There's not much complaining, but uh, you know. But the reality is, it's like you're going to a gym, you're gonna sweat. That's the story. That's the end of the story. Let's move on. You know. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the workout. By the way, <laughs> that's no picnic either. Um, people pay big money for exfoliations, yeah. and you're getting it with me for free. That's right. You're welcome. That's right. No charge for All that. All the time. Yeah. You're welcome for that. It's on me. Yeah. Toxins. <laughs> Let them out. Whatever you believe about that. <laughs> so, let's go. Episode one ten. We need to have some teasers right now because we want to make sure that every person listens to this episode. We have a triple guest coming back and near and dear, Dr. Jason Carp joining us from San Diego. That's right. Our, you know, podcast, one of our running experts, you know, that we go to amazing with science and just the anatomy, physiology, everything that you could think of. He's on point. Right. And he's, you know, written books. We've had, you know, our former episodes, which we'll put up as well in the notes, that go back, listen to his story, listen to, you know, we talked with books in the past and training. And this time, we actually have been wanting to get him back on the show because he had gone over to Kenya in the winter for, what, two weeks? I think he said two weeks, yeah. 
and uh, and did you know the the uh, Rift Valley? He went to uh, El Dorot and then to uh, E10. E10 to uh, to run in at Kenya. The, yep, at the high altitude training center, which is uh, you know something I've read quite a bit about, and uh, you know it just sounds fascinating to me. And he's, and he's running with the greatest runners in the world. And uh, we'd like him to take both of us with him next. February when he's having his own workshop over there. We'll so. make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, he, yeah, long and short of it is he went over there. He had uh, you know a great time and he ran with uh, you know the greatest runners in the world and f- saw how they did it and he worked with them and now he's got a relationship with them and he's going back and he's going to have his own camp there in January of 2012 or, or 20, 2020. 2020. Yeah. 2012. 2020. <laughs> uh, what year is it? And uh, you know and and everybody can go. Yeah. You can go and and join them and uh, it's just fascinating just to hear the culture. How they do things, what they eat, what the runs are like, what Tuesday track is like for real. You know, like I've seen it on YouTube and the and the uh, uh, Fartlek Thursday, which are just these you know open open yeah. open runs that anyone can can attend and uh, and and they you know they get hundreds of of Kenyans uh, there on a Thursday morning for their traditional Thursday run, and same with the track on Tuesdays and. Just really fascinating things, and uh, in addition know, to that, he's he goes into you know he's you know he's got his PhD and you know he's very decorated, but he's right now he decided he wanted to go back for his MBA, yeah. just something that he wanted to do. So he's at San Diego State doing that. He's still he's writing. He's adding additions to his Revolution Run coaching yeah. workshops. He's going to be you know doing those online around the world. He's got. He's coaching athletes remotely from all over the world, trying to get them ready for the Olympic trials. Um, what else is he saying? The best part is that he's writing another book. I can't wait for this. <laughs> it's a, a little thrill, teaser. A little teaser. So this is how physical activity, um, specifically running, affects sex. I'm just going to let everyone <laughs> let sit on that, that simmer. for a little while. And uh, uh, yeah, you better believe that. Brian and I had a good time talking about that with him as well because <laughs> Dr. Carp is just fantastic. You can't say that in front of me and not expect to, Yeah. You know. Not expect us to be like children over here, you know. <laughs> not expect me to ask you like, Are you doing your own research on this? So um but again, really fascinating stuff. A great conversation as always. And it was just, you know, it was it was, it was part catching up with Dr. Carp, uh, in you know, finding out what he's up to and then a really uh thorough rundown of what his experience was like in Kenya. And uh we hope you enjoy this one. This is episode one ten of the Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone Podcast with Dr. Jason Carp. Here we go. Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are Two Fit Crazies. And the microphone. We are where it's at. 110th episode coming at you, listeners. That's right. And ding, 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 round three. For Dr. Jason Carp. 
If you have mm-hmm. not yet listened to all of our episodes, you better go back and find them. We'll put obviously all that information on our show notes and whatnot, but please go back and listen because Dr. Jason Carb is amazing. You need to know anything about running, uh, get certified, revolution running. I'm certified uh-huh. and um, it is a phenomenal program. So Dr. Jason Carb, how the heck are you? Fantastic. It's always great to talk to fellow New Jerseyans. Yeah. <laughs> By way of San Diego, how's uh, how's San Diego living for you these days? Um, it's great. You know, we're still in a June gloom, but I love it because it's great for running. Everyone out here complains about the gray skies in June, but I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, we we always see the silver lining us runners, right? We we you know, we we can uh we we know how we know how to live. That's right. <laughs> That's right, we do. Oh my goodness. So, right now, what uh, what are you up to, Dr. Carb? Obviously, this is this is your third round with the two fit crazies and we always love the conversation with you because obviously the two of us are avid runners and we love to run, we love to share that with the world and and again, you know, we've read your books and you inspire people, you inspire us. We, you know, we hope to spread that word. So what are you up to right now? What's new and exciting in your world? Uh, well, uh, the certification program is still, um, you know, the biggest project that I'm working on right now. And so that's been going well and coming to New Jersey in a few weeks with that and uh, still writing and, uh, you know, speaking about uh, being fit crazy. I might be one of them because uh, I went back to school in January. So now I'm working on a MBA at San Diego State. So between school and and uh, writing and coaching, still coaching a lot. Have an elite team that I started last year with some runners from around the country. Uh, one of our athletes just ran 253 at Grandma's Marathon last weekend. Nice. So uh, yeah, got a lot going on. That's great. That's so. Great. What? Okay, we have a lot to talk about. Number one, what? inspired you to go back and get your NBA right now? That was my first What's question, going too. On? What are you thinking? You're Dr. Carp. Like, you got a lot on your plate. And so what was it? Is it the it? Did you get the itch? Was that what it was? Well, it's been an itch that's been there for a while, so it's kind of funny. It's it, This dates back a while. That When I was working on my PhD uh, very early into that degree, like my second year in that degree, I actually had walked over to the business school when I was at Indiana University because I got the idea all the way back then to work on the MBA at the time. I thought maybe I could do it at the same time I was doing a PhD, and that was too crazy. <laughs> so I decided not to do it because that would have just been too much to do at the same time. But it's always been in the back of my mind for all these years. I mean, that was back in 2002, 2003. And then last summer, for some reason, the thought just you know pushed its way back to the forefront of my mind. And, and I thought, yeah, why not? Let me take a look at this. So I looked at the few schools in the area where I live, and I just chose San Diego State, and I decided to go for it. So I started in January. So I got about another two and a half years left doing it part-time, a couple classes a semester, including the summer. I have one class, two classes now. and So uh, it's fun. It's great to work on a degree that's different from the other three. You know, all three of my degrees are in the same general field, exercise physiology, biomechanics, exercise science, and so it's fun to work on a degree that's different from what I've done before. And, and because I'm self-employed and I have this great you know, interest in entrepreneurialism, I decided, uh, you know, why not? So, so I went ahead and did it. So that's my question to you. You know, in all your accolades and in, in, in all the education that you had, wh- how is it? where did you feel like that you were lacking that, that the business, the MBA was going to help you moving forward? 
Uh, well, that's a good question. It's a few things. I mean, you know, everything I've learned about business, I've learned on my own because I never formally studied it. So like, right now, I'm, I'm taking a class on leadership, and all these topics are coming up about, you know, what makes an effective leader. And if nothing else, it, it makes me reflect on what I'm doing to, so that I can be a better leader. And, and uh, you know, in the fall, I'll have a marketing class. I'm sure I'll learn a lot in that because all the marketing stuff that I've been doing, and again, I'm just kind of learning on the fly. So it helps me to not only learn you know, theories and research in these different areas, but also it helps me to reflect on what I do as a business owner and how I can be better and how I can help, you know, grow what I'm trying to grow and how I can help lead people. And so from that perspective, it's been great so far. I mean, I'm only a few classes in, but already I've learned a ton and it actually prompted me, you know, the, the leadership class I'm taking now and the organizational behavior class that I took in you know, this past semester has actually prompted me to add a whole other manual to the certification course. So now I have a whole other manual that discusses topics related to coaching uh, that are apart from the training. And so I talk about th things like leadership and, and communication and coaching style and, and coaching philosophy and, and trust and all the things that go into coaching apart from the training. So yeah, it's been great so far. I'm really pleased with uh, how it's going and, and what I'm learning and, yeah, and it's fun. It's just it's simply fun to just work on another degree. I've always loved the academic environment, and it's just a great experience. Now, will you be rushing a frat this time around? <laughs> no, no, I think I'm going to stay away. From that. <laughs> okay, no Rodney Dangerfield uh, <laughs> back to school. Especially my age, it could be. <laughs> oh man! So are you doing most of your classes online, or are you? Oh no, it's all in person. Oh, it yeah. is. So what? Yeah, what's I the wasn't client? interested. If, I feel like if I was going to go back to school, I wasn't interested in doing an online degree because I really love being in school. And I sit so much in front of my computer anyway with everything else I do that I, I figured if I'm going to do school again, I didn't want to just spend more time in front of my computer. That doesn't feel like I'm in school. You're talking to someone who loves the smell of books, <laughs> Jason. So. Yeah, me too. So, I, yeah, I'm actually in school. Problem. I go to classes on campus and you know, I sit in the library and do work before class and yeah, I'm actually back in school again. Oh, that sounds deal. so amazing. It sounds exciting. I'm a bit oh, I'm a bit jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, I could just go to school forever if but there's like that they always want money. It's like an issue. You yeah, know, no, tuition. That, yeah, that's the big problem. It would be great if school were free. Well, it may just change who you vote for, I guess, right? Right, I know. I hope, I sure hope. I, I've always been a proponent of that. I don't I I can't. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, topic. yeah, yeah. yeah. Accessibility is important. That we have to pay to be educated. I, I don't think that's the way it should be. But well, as long as we've got uh, all of this access to uh, what credit cards and getting money and yeah. you know, it's uh, so. Let's go here. What are you working on? What are you writing now? So you've got the MBA going on. So what are we writing? Is it the other part of the manual that you talked about? Or well, are yeah, you... so that I just launched. So I just completed another manual for the course on these other topics related to coaching. And then I'm also working on another book, just finishing off uh, another book. I still have a little bit more to work on it. But, yeah, so I'm working on another book. This one uh, will be very interesting. It's about how uh, physical activity in general and running in particular affects – aspects of sex affects our sexual behavior sexual stimulation and i've always been fascinated by about how these two expressions of who we are running and physical activity and exercise on one hand and sex on the other hand you know they're the two best expressions of who we are as animals 
you know, we need to do each one to live a, a healthy, productive life. You know, obviously we need to have sex to, to continue the species. And so uh, it's very interesting. There's actually a lot of research on how exercise affects your sexual behavior, affects a response to sexual stimulation, and enhances the sexual experience. Most people don't even think about that. They go to the gym right before they have sex. The sex will actually be better. There's actually quite a lot of research on that. And so it's a fascinating topic. So I decided to write a book about it. Uh, that's a fascinating topic, Doc. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering. I, all the first thing that came to mind is all the out of shape people and all the people that don't really work out that are procreating in this world, um, you know. And and uh, there's, uh, I don't know why that came to my mind, but uh, very interesting. Christine, what do you think about that? You know what I thought of immediately, and I'll just I'll throw myself under the bus. I thought right. So I always remember there was this. Um, I don't know. I guess it was. What do you say? Like a. People believed in something. It's sort of like a wives' tale. It was like if you had sex before you had like an athletic event, you didn't do as well. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. And then there were people that said the opposite. That's what right. I always remember so, yeah, hearing a, growing up. That's a big topic that I talk about in the book because yeah, for the the history of sport in general is that, and this goes back pretty far, that people thought that yeah, I shouldn't. You have to abstain from sex before athletic competition. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, the research act. There's actually a lot of research on that topic as well, and the research shows that that that's not the case. That having sex or not having sex, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect uh, laboratory tests of performance. It doesn't affect actual athletic performance. There's been a lot of uh, work done in that area too, and so. Yeah, the, you can you can definitely have sex before you go run a marathon. It's not going to affect your marathon anymore. <laughs> My husband is going to listen to this and sign me up for a marathon every day now. <laughs> That's it. You're running across America. And and how about this? Because this is something that I've always seen correlations in, and I could be wrong about it. But you know, like my my first son, uh, you know, we we were I was marathon training when he was conceived, and uh, you know, so and he's. He's got the characteristics characteristics of a marathon runner. You know, he's he's fast. He's you know he's uh, he's got some endurance. Is that something that correlates? That like did my Lauren my was seed? a marathon baby. Yeah, marathon babies, and I have another son, my third, which was when I was like heavy strength training. I mean, I was working out with these guys that that were like we were like practically barbarians the way that we were training at the time. And uh, and he is we call him the golden gorilla. He's he's uh, he's he's a strong little kid. Uh, I don't know if that's anything that like my my seed that I passed on to them is super powerful strength. What ha what happened there? Is there any correlation? Yeah, I don't there? think. I mean, it's a great story, but I don't think we can. <laughs> Scientifically, it's debunked just no. like that. All right. I mean, the, the increase in the strength training more so than the endurance training does increase testosterone, especially heavy, you know, intense lifting. And so, you know, that, that increases the sperm count because, uh, you know, testosterone is responsible for sperm production. So it could be argued that when you do a lot of intense exercise, that that's good for, you know, sperm motility and sperm count. And, and there's also research to show that a lot of heavy endurance training can actually reduce sperm count okay. and fertility. So, um, but yeah, you can't say that if you're doing a lot of marathon training and then you have sex, that your baby is going to be better suited for endurance and vice versa if you do the strain chain. We can't say that. Right. But exercise in general does have an effect on fertility and sperm count. And so, um, you know, that could be responsible for, you know, the, uh, the, the ability for, for a wife to get pregnant 
when you're doing a lot of exercise, it actually helps to to induce pregnancy. But uh, but the extreme case is also the true that if you do a lot of endurance exercise, then that could potentially work against you. But there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to show that people who train for marathons, even at the very elite level, who are running 100 miles per week, I mean, they still have children. Right. So they're not having problems conceiving, even though they're still doing a lot of exercise. Yeah, they they have they have children, and then Nike cuts them off from the payroll, and <laughs> you know, and then uh, there's a big scandal, uh, scandalous topic a couple weeks ago. So, very interesting stuff you're working on there, Doc. Yeah, I try to keep my life interesting. <laughs> a lot of actual research going into that. <laughs> Are there boots on the ground here? <laughs> Leave that to your imagination. So, so when should we expect this book to come out? Any timeline right now? Uh, probably either by the end of this year, or I'm actually thinking Valentine's Day would be a great time to release the book. <laughs> so uh, it'll either be during the holidays at the end of this year, or around Valentine's Day next year. All right. Well, we'll have to keep us in the loop so we can uh, we can promote oh, yeah, and send that out to our listeners and and uh, you know get some get some pre-orders in or whatever we need because we'll definitely uh we'll definitely be checking that out and and talking about that so super pumped that's right great so now let's talk about your coaching so you are still coaching are you doing any coaching i know you've got a lot on your plate right now but is it mostly um online coaching that you're doing across the country or do you have any groups that you're working with you know right in front of you yeah most of it is online through uh you know I mean, it's, you can call it online, but it's really the old-fashioned way of email right. and telephone. And so, uh, yeah, I have a, a few elite athletes as part of this elite team, and they're all scattered around the country. And so, uh, yeah, all of the coaching I'm doing right now is uh, is remote. How are you finding the athletes? Are they finding you? Or are you finding them? Are you scouting them out? And, uh, and yeah, it's yeah. a combination of both. I am scouting specifically for this elite team. For the other, for the people I coach, you know, like recreational and other good runners. Apart from this elite team, then you know a lot of them are, are, are coming to me. But for the purpose of the elite team, some of it, you know, I've been going out and recruiting people to be a part of this team. And what is your, you know, what would you say is the type of athlete that you're looking for? Uh, is it a post grad? Is it um, somebody who's um, looking to um, improve from where they are? They're coming off college careers. What is it that you're, you know, you think yeah, is your it could idea? Yeah, any or all of the above. I'm looking for people who are interested in taking their run to the, the next level, who are already, you know, very, very good runners. And you know, you know, with the uh, the Olympic trials coming up next year. You know, I'm looking for people who are interested in trying to get to the Olympic trials, whether it's the marathon or the track. And uh, so there's a lot of attention right now on the marathon, especially for women, because, uh, you know, there's quite, there's over 300 women already in the Crazy. U.S. who qualified for the Olympic trials. And so um, there seem to be a lot of women in the 10 minute window, you know, slightly slower than the Olympic trials qualifying standard. There's, you know, the, the standard is 245. And there's a lot of women right now between 245 and 255. Right. So there's a lot of people who are trying to get to the trials. So, uh, yeah, I'm, we're focusing on, on trying to get as many to the trials as possible. How many athletes do you have uh, in uh, in your stable, so to speak, right now? Uh, right now it's pretty small. It's around uh, four to five. Okay. Um, you know, there's one girl. There's actually one girl over in England who's around 255, so she's not necessarily interested in the Olympic trials in right. the U.S., but – but uh, she still wants to get faster over in England. 
And then there's a we have a, about three girls in the U.S. who are, you know, in that that window. They're between 250 and 255. So, um, you know, we'll see. You know, I'm excited about this. It's really exciting to try to get them to the Olympic trials and and uh, try to make them the very best that they can be. It's it's fascinating to me. I, I just I love the process of that and trying to to push them to their outermost limits. I, I've always been in love with that process ever since I was a kid. Now, what, what, what do you see happens when you are working with people all around the world? Is it, I mean, do you, is there that level of trust that they have to be doing exactly what you say or what do you find works best and what do you find, you know, you really struggle with, with that? I always think that's fascinating because people will say, oh no, I have to work with someone right in front of me. Um, but there's so many positive things about, you know, working with people remotely. So how could you, how could you get someone, you know, to say, Hey, I, you don't have to, you could be in California. I could be in New Jersey and, and I could help you. So what would you say to people, especially that may be interested in, in working with you? Well, running is perhaps the only sport in which you can do that because even though there is a technical component to running, it is minor compared to what you see in other sports. You know, you can't have a gymnastics coach remotely. You know, you can't have a diving coach remotely. It's not going to work with those kinds of sports. So running, it does work better. Having said that, I still believe, just in my own experience of working with athletes in person and remotely, that it will always be better if you have a coach there with you. A coach can see things going on in workouts that, that you know, they wouldn't be able to see if you do it remotely. But – it can work remotely very well as long as the athlete gives a lot of feedback to the coach. And so that's why I'm always telling my athletes is that, you know, I really need the feedback and I need it when it happens. I, you know, not a week later or two weeks later. And so, you know, I do require that after every single workout, they email me and give me the objective data from the workout. You know, what were the times for the interval workout or the, the tempo run or whatever workout they did. And then also the subjective feelings, you know, how did they feel during the workout? Did they feel like the pace was controlling them? Did they feel like they were controlling the pace? You know, how did the, the workout unfold for them? And as long as I have that feedback, then I feel close to what they're doing. It's only times in which that if they don't give me feedback, then I don't feel close to what they're doing. And then it's much more difficult for me to guide them. So as long as the athlete provides a lot of feedback to the coach, then it can work very well with, in a sport like running. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just so important for, for those athletes to really just and be honest assessments and the time will be honest, you know, the times are the times and the splits are the splits and you can look at it like that. But like that second component that you said there was, is, uh, you know, how did it feel? Is it a smiley face or is it a frown? You know, what were the conditions like, uh, you know, everything that, what kind of, you know, what kind of course did you run it on? And, and all those things are, are, you know, really, really important. And I think that that's an opportunity for you, you know, as the coach to get a really feel for your athlete, um, you know, how they react to certain uh, workouts and how they, you know, just the emotion aspect of it, of it too. And, you know, running, there's no sideline, right? There's, there's no, there's no, there's no timeouts. There's no sidelines. It's not as if they're, they're running the race by themselves too, right? The coach isn't hollering at them. And if they are, it's for a brief second as they pass, um, you know, but, uh, you know, so it's just they have to be on their own and they have to be able to, to do these things on their own anyway. So, 
Um, talk right. to us about that emotional uh, aspect of working with these athletes and, and um, you know, getting in line with what they're feeling uh, as well as thinking. Right, and that's exactly you – know, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, that in some ways is the most difficult part of coaching, you know, especially when you have a lot of personalities. Like right now, just on the people on this elite team, very different personalities. And, and because I don't see them, you know, and I'm doing things from a distance, you got to take the time to really get to know – each athlete and and what motivates them and and things that you can say what buttons to push and what buttons not to push and and that takes time and that's not something that uh you know that you that's not something you learn in school that's not something you're going to learn from a book you know it just takes time to get to know the personalities of each of the people that you coach so let's go on so now not only are you coaching remotely around the world but Talk again about, for all of our listeners that may have not been living in a hole and they haven't heard about Revolution Running, talk about what's going on with Revolution Running right now. Well, we're still growing. We have about 750 certified professionals around the country and the world, and we're in 21 countries. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun to spread this all over. And you have a few master trainers around a couple in uh, other countries which is great because even though i love to travel obviously i can't be everywhere all the time and so it's great to have people who can teach the course in these other places and uh it's great you know i I feel like i've put together a very solid program that encompasses all the things that somebody would need to know to, to coach runners whether it's to run a marathon or to run for weight loss or to teach treadmill classes in gyms you know i feel like uh we've done a good job of of covering all the bases with this. So, so tell us about the program again. Uh, you know, I know that you're coming to uh, our area at Monmouth University. Uh, you know, make, when when are, the, when are you coming here? What are the That's dates? New Jersey for all of our listeners all over the world. Mm-hmm. What yeah, the- so I'll be there. I'll be at Monmouth on uh, July 14th. Okay. So that'll be a lot of fun. They have a fantastic facility at Monmouth, so we'll we'll get to do a little bit even more with this one because uh, for the active practical part. You know, we'll get to go outside on the track and, and we can do the running technique drills and even the interval workout on the track as, as well as the, the, you use the treadmills in their fitness center. And so I'm excited about this because we don't usually have access to a track when I teach the course someplace. And it's a beauty, but, that new track. It is something. Yeah. They yeah. Have, yeah. They have the new indoor track. So yeah, it's, Brand it's new, great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to teaching the course there. So, uh, what can people expect when they get there? What is the, uh, the length of the course? How many days, hours? What are we talking here? And then what do they expect when they leave as far as testing and, and everything that goes into that? Yeah. So the live course is eight hours. So we pack a lot. I mean, it could easily make it a week long, but <laughs> we pack a lot into the eight hours and, and we go over everything. We off with physiology and then technique and injuries and weight loss and how to design workouts and training programs and uh, really get into the nitty-gritty of, of how to train people to run. And then the, the practical part, we go through a series of running technique drills and learn about uh, running technique. And uh, then we do a, a quick stride rate, stride length experiment on the treadmill because you know, that's something that uh, is always confusing to people about what is driving people's speed. Is it more the stride length? Is it the stride rate? You know, most people think it's the stride rate. There's a lot of uh, emphasis placed on how many steps per minute you should take. And, and actually, stride length is the more import, important component of the stride and, and increasing speed. And so how you do that, you know, you got to learn how do you increase the stride. And, 
and there's ways to do that and there's exercises that you can do to improve that and so we do a little experiment on the treadmill to show you know we change the speeds and count the number of strides and and look at uh, you know how the stride rate stride lengths change and then everyone will do an interval workout so like when we do it at Monmouth we can do something you know out on the track and so during the, the lecture portion, we learn about how to do the interval work. How do you do a VO2 max workout? How do you do a threshold workout? How do you do an anaerobic velocity workout or an anaerobic power workout? And then we'll, we'll take one of those sample workouts and then everybody does it as a group so that they can learn by doing. So that's always a lot of fun. Plus they get a good workout at the end of the day. <laughs> that's so awesome. it, after it's over, you know, then, uh, you know, then people will, uh, for the live course is a little bit different than what it used to be. For the live course now, they're, that, that may be considered like a level one, even though I don't really use that term. But but uh, the live course, because of its time, we, we can't cover everything. So that's more like a, a level one. And then the, the home study course, those manuals have a lot more information. You know, it has the ninth manual that we just talked about before. And for the home study course, there's a test on the website that people take. And so after they take the test, then they become certified that way. For the live course, there's no longer an exam. You just attend the live course. You listen intently. You learn everything, and then uh, then you get the the certificate, and and then you're you're part of the certified family. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. I'm excited. And for our listeners, again, I'm just throwing this out here for everybody that, you know, no matter what you do with running, you know, if you're just you think you just run marathons or whatnot, this. I just have to stop and say that every sport that's out there, I mean, unless you're like swimming, you know, but has a running component, has, you know, the way you hold your body, your mechanics. And I don't care what your, you know, what kind of coach you are or athlete you are. I think it matters to know how to run effectively, safely. And, you know, for, for a day out of your life, you can pick up some, you know, extra tips that makes you live a, you know, better life and safer and feel better. It's worth it. So, I love the fact that, that you do this and it's this one day that they can come and just sponge in all your information. So we're going to obviously put that information out on our social media and whatnot. And if people can't make it to, again, we always have that information of yours on our website as well of, you know, where to find your information. So amazing. So we'll put that out there, but we got to get into the good stuff today. Uh-huh. And you did something pretty awesome. Um, and went on a trip that is, Brian and I were just, you know, kind of salivating and thinking about it. Um, you went to Kenya, correct? Yeah. That was, <laughs> and it wasn't yeah. just sightseeing. <laughs> no. So in fact, there wasn't a whole lot of sightseeing. I mean, there was some, Yeah, you saw the track, you saw the trails, you saw, you know, the some, people, some, yeah. the culture. All right. I'm fascinated by this doc. Cause, uh, you how know, did this start? Like, yeah, yeah, like you, this has been a, you know, somewhat of a dream of mine to, uh, to go run with the best runners in the world. And right. I, and you did it. So tell us what happened. Well, like a lot of runners growing up, you know, we become very enamored with the Kenyans because they're, you know, they're the very best runners in the world. And so everybody wants to know, well, what makes them so good? And we can get into that later if we have time. There's a confluence of factors. But so I think every kid growing up running in high school may dream about running with the Kenyans because they they are kind of sensationalized a lot by the media because they are so good. And and so there's some mystery surrounding them. And And so for a while, I've been wanting to go over there and take it all in, not just as a runner, but also as a coach. You know, I want to learn what they do and see how I can incorporate it into what I do as a coach. And, you know, I've always wanted to be the very best coach that I can be. 
And so I decided last summer to look into uh, you know, what it would take to go over there. And so uh, you know, I found a camp, and uh, so I decided to sign up for it. And so it was this past February, just a few months ago. So I went over there. They have a, there's a place called the High Altitude Training Center, which is owned by Lorna Kiplagat, who uh, later in her career she ran for Denmark but because she married someone from, from there. But she's from Kenya, and she was one of the best runners in the world back in the, the late 90s. Legend. And, uh, so with all the money that she won over her running career, she opened this high-altitude training center in a town called Iten, I-T-E-N, Iten, which is about an hour outside of Eldoret. And E10 is the hub of running in Kenya. You know, everyone thinks about Kenya, they think about running, but it's actually a very small part of Kenya that produces the best runners in the world. Most of Kenya, you know, they don't even run. It's only this one tribe, the Nandi tribe, the Kalenjin people over in Kenya. And uh, E10 is the epicenter. So there's a few thousand runners in E10, and there, nothing is done recreationally like it is in the U.S. Every runner in E10 runs for the sole purpose of trying to become the very best. So there's a very unique culture there where all these very poor Kenyans are trying to become good runners because they know it is their way out of poverty. And so they have this intense desire to be good. They don't have the luxuries that we have here in the U.S. You know, as we were running on, you know, they don't have roads there. There's one road that connects all the towns and all the running they do, like 100% of the running they do is on all these red rock dirty trails. And so, uh, you know, that's just the lifestyle they live. They live in poverty. They live in shacks. Only the, the way you can tell who's wealthy because they live in a nice home, which, you know, nice for Kenya is we would think that that's not great facilities, but, but, uh, you know, the good runners who have won a lot of money, they're like celebrities over there and they live in what we would think are modest homes, but for over there, it's like mansion. And, uh, so it's just a very interesting environment. You know, as we're running along, we see the kids walking and running back and forth to school. You know, we would run every morning, early in the morning, and the kids are out there with their backpacks running to school, and and they're running barefoot because they they're too poor for shoes. And and so it's just an interesting lifestyle that these people lead. There's there's no materialism there. They don't understand this kind of stuff. You know, internet access is very spotty. You know, they have to run to get water. I mean, just basic stuff. I mean, it's a third world country. So it's a fascinating environment to be in, to learn what they do. You know, they have a dirt track that they all run on on Tuesdays. And when we went over to the track to do a workout, I mean, you see a few hundred Kenyans running around the track like thoroughbred racehorses. I mean, it's a phenomenal environment to immerse yourself in. And then, you know, we were lucky staying at the high altitude training center because it's like a five star hotel compared to the conditions that you get in the surrounding area. So, you know, we had a nice facility to stay at. And so I enjoyed the process so much. I enjoyed the experience so much that I decided to hold my own running camp over there. So in January, from January 8th to the 18th, I'm going to hold my own running camp there and I'll make it an annual thing. So I'll bring people over there. And, uh, you know, it's all inclusive. We stay at the training center. Now that, that I have a relationship with the high altitude training center, we'll stay there. And, uh, you know, we'll have a, a fantastic experience where we'll combine the science of training with the experience of running with the Kenyans. You know, every day that I was there, we had Kenyans who paced us on group runs. And, and so uh, you really get to mix with them. Every Thursday, they do the famous fartlek where they get a few hundred people to come out every Thursday morning. 
to do this, uh, either you can have a choice between a 5K and a 10K. There's a place where you can break off and, and do an extra 5K. And each week they do a fartlek where it's either three minutes hard, one minute easy, or two minutes hard, one minute easy, or one minute hard, one minute easy. And they rotate that every week. So it's it's just, you know, I can't talk more highly of it. I mean, for anyone who has the opportunity to go or if, you know, to be a part of the camp that I'm going to host, I mean, it's just a fantastic experience. You're going to learn so much that will change your life, change your perspective on running and, and change your perspective on, on what it really means to become a good runner. Give me a daily, like when you were over there, what was it like? Give me like a, you know, a daily agenda for one day. Well, we would wake up early in the morning, you know, because they run twice a day. We had the option of running twice a day if we wanted to, but, you know, they run twice a day most days. So the first run was usually at 6.30 in the morning, which is great because it's nice and cool at that time. I mean, everyone thinks, you know, Kenya is very, very hot, and it can be. But when we were there in February, and when, that's one of the reasons I'm hosting the, the camp in January, because that's like the best weather time of the year. And So the high, the hottest they ever got was 80 to 82 degrees. But when you run at 6.30 in the morning, it's in the upper 50s, low 60s. So it's very cool and comfortable. So we would run in the morning, you know, and sometimes we would do a workout. Sometimes we would just go and do a, you know, regular run on their dirt trails. And we had uh, Kenyans to pace us. So we would run in a group. Sometimes the faster people would break off from that group. But we always had someone to run. We always had a Kenyan, a local Kenyan to run with. So we would do that and then you know, uh, host a seminar or something in the afternoon to learn about training. Um, you know, we also did a, we also incorporated a little bit of sightseeing. So like one day we visited, uh, St. Patrick's high school, which is the famous high school in E10 that, uh, this high school is known for its runners. They have graduated more Olympic runners and more world record holders than any high school ever in the world. You know, David Radisha, brother, Colm O'Connor, excuse me, with Colm O'Connor. Yeah, so yeah. Colm O'Connell, uh, he's an interesting guy. We didn't, actually didn't get to meet him okay. because he wasn't in town when we were there. He was out of the country when we were there. But hopefully in January in my camp he'll be there and we'll get to meet him. Fascinating. There. Yeah, he's a guy from Ireland who came over to Kenya in the, the 1970s. His plan was just to be there for a couple of months to teach at this school. And he ended up staying there ever since. He was the principal of the school for a while and he started this running program there and and he didn't have a running background himself. He was not a running coach himself, but he just started this running program there, and he created this incredible tradition there. And and so, uh, yeah, he, they've graduated uh, more Olympians than anywhere else in the world. And and they so we walked around their campus, and they have a, a small campus there, and uh, they plant trees for every really successful runner, for every Olympic runner, for every world record holder. They plant a tree and put a little plaque there. So they put like a little memorial for every person. So you walk around the campus and you see all these trees with all these plaques and a picture of the Olympic runner or world record holder. And, you know, that just inspires these kids. These kids walk around, go into class, and they see a tree with David Radish's name on it. And right. it's just incredible inspiration to these kids because they aspire to be that. And and so the system feeds itself at this point, and and you know it's just an amazing experience. So you know we got the opportunity to do that one day, and so yeah, it's fantastic. It was just to soak in the culture because there's really nothing to do there. And, you know, I tell people the story that it's funny when I first got there. At, you know, there's a very small airport in Eldoret, and when I first got there, I exchanged my U.S. dollars for Kenyan shillings, and. Uh, you know, I didn't know how much to, to exchange. So I exchanged like a few hundred U.S. dollars and it become that's like thousands of Kenyan shillings. Right. Or like ten, it's like tens of thousands of Kenyan shillings. You know, money goes pretty far there. And uh, 
So I exchanged a few hundred U.S. dollars. And I, when I went back to the airport two weeks later, I had to exchange most of it back because <laughs> there was nothing to spend money on there. I mean, all these people do is run. And when they're not running, they just sit around and relax. They rest. I was going to ask that. Is, is like, what's their day to day? Like your day to day is, you know, you're obviously on vacation, you're touring, you're, you know, you're, you're not vacation, but your, you know, your purpose is there to be to run and, and things. What about them? Do they, the, the, is what's work like? Do they uh, have jobs that they do to, you know, to, to yeah, get through? Yeah, I mean, they, they work on the land a lot. I mean, people who have jobs, you know, some like own little businesses there. And you know, like we saw, like there's um, like flea markets around where they, you know, they sell clothes and things like that. And But it's a very simple life. They don't have the kinds of jobs that we have here. You know, I mean, if, you know, they have like a small, um, I don't want to even say hospital. In E10, they have like a small medical clinic. So you have obviously people work in the clinic, you have nurses and, and doctors, but even to get medical care, you have to drive an hour away to El Duret where they have a major hospital. And so, yeah, they don't have the kinds of jobs that we have here. It's a very simple life. The right. runners, you know, they're, they're really not doing anything when they're not running. They're just tending to their land and they're, you know, if they have children, they're raising the children and, and, uh, you know, it's just very simple. They don't really do a lot. There's not a lot to do there. You know, they don't have a lot of refrigeration. So all the food that we ate every day, it's all fresh. It's all grown daily. I was so gonna, they have to I, tend to that. I want to know about that too. Tell, yeah. tell us about their diets. Tell us about how they eat and how you eat when you're there. Well, that too is very interesting because, you know, in the U.S., you know, everyone gives carbohydrates a bad name. And over there, it's about 90% carbohydrate. All they eat right. is carbohydrate every day because that's what they have access to. They don't have access to the simple sugars. I mean, there's no cakes and cookies. There's no bakeries there. There's no ice cream shops. There's nothing like that. But most of what they eat is from the land. And so there's a lot of carbohydrate. They can't refrigerate. There's no, you know, there's no perishables because they have no place to refrigerate it. And so we ate a lot of carbohydrate. We had a, some protein, some animal protein. I mean, there's lots of cows around. You know, if you own a cow there, you're considered wealthy. And so uh, we saw a lot of cows. And so uh, we had some meat, you know, a lot of vegetables, a lot of rice and grains. You know, again, very simple diet. You know, there's no, um, there's no sauces and all those, these extra things that we have in the U.S. There's no, you know, like salad dressings and there's no stuff like that there. It's great. It's great. You know, the simplicity of it all, you know, the, the, just the yeah. way, just the way that they, they, they live and the culture is to run. And, and, uh, uh, tell us about, uh, Track Tuesday. What's, uh, what's that like? I've seen, you know, I've, I've seen the videos on YouTube or whatnot of, of Track Tuesday and the Fartlek uh, run that you mentioned with the hundreds of athletes just starting, uh, you know, all together. Uh, what what is it like when those events come around? Is the you know does the village kind of uh, come to life, or you know, is, that's what I would imagine it would be. Oh yeah, I mean it's very inspirational. I mean the first day that we went over, we were so, we were there two weeks, and so we got to go to the track twice. And so the first time we went over there, I mean it's <laughs> it's very intimidating when you first look upon this site because like i said before i mean they're like thoroughbred racehorses they run in straight lines so there's different groups they all run together but they run into group depending on the specific workouts that they're doing then they all run in groups and they all run in a straight line you know one right behind the other with a pacer you know in the in the front of the group and it is just all time to a metronome they are, are very exact and very pure about what they do and you know there's no talking they're just it's all about the work and it's just a very inspirational, in, you know, for a recreational runner, it would be a very intimidating place to go. But at the same time, 
you want to be like them. You, you look to, to try to copy what they're doing because it's just such an inspirational thing. And you can tell that this is a place of work. It's not a social environment like it is in the U.S. with running groups in the U.S. They're there to get the job done. They all have a goal to be the very best in the world because they know that it is their way out of poverty. And, you know, they're there to do the work. And uh, because of the the dirt track that they're on, you know, they as a part of the high altitude training center, they do have a rubberized track, but that costs money for people to use. So, you know, we had access to that track, but we opted to go where everybody else was going and yeah, go to the dirt track. Of course. Which was about a 15 minute drive from the training center, you know, down this one road. They only have one paved road. So you go down this one paved road to get to the track, which is on the campus of a teacher's college. And it's an old fashioned dirt track. So when you see all these Kenyans running around the track, the dirt flies up just like it would be on a horse track with thoroughbred racehorses. You know, it's kind of a similar, that's probably the best analogy I can come up with. It's a similar type of a situation where you see them all running in, uh, you know, straight lines and, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's an incredible atmosphere to be in and it makes you want to be better. And so, you know, there are white people around, they call them Mazungos. So uh, if you're a Mazungo, that uh, if they call you that, that's kind of an affectionate term that they know that you're, you're a white person. You're not, you know, you're not one of us. And, but, uh, you know, so, you know, I was a Mazungo there and, and uh, so you see some Mazungus running with the Kenyans. And, I was going to ask uh, that. The, the, any, uh, you know, any expats over there or anybody, you know, that, yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I know that. There are, there are people, like, you don't even have to be a part of a camp to go there. If you wanted to, you could go there on your own and either rent a house someplace. You know, they, they have, you know, local Kenyans that, you know, they all want to make money because nobody has any money there. So you can rent a room in someone's house or you can, you know, rent a room at the high altitude training center just like you would pay for a hotel. And then you could do your own thing if you wanted to. You know, you could just hang out there and go run. You know, you you, you learn pretty quickly wh- what's going on when. You like, you know, you Tuesday track workout and the the Thursday fartlek. You know, it's a pretty well known fartlek, and you do see some some runners from around. You know, we met runners from all over the world there. I mean, there we met people from Ireland there. We met people from Russia because you know that's people want to come there to train. They they want to improve their performance. And and then the other thing they've got going there is the high altitude. You know, we, E10 sits at 7,900 feet, so that makes a big difference when you're running. You know, it's hard to adjust when you first get there. So, uh, you know, it's all these things combined. It's the the altitude, it's the lifestyle, it's the genetics. You know, if you look at the Kenyans, they all have very thin legs. But again, it's this one Kalenjin tribe of Kenya. It's not, you know, all Kenyans who belong to different tribes. They don't have the same body type. It's just this one particular tribe in Kenya and uh, the epicenter of that tribe is an E10, and then there's some spillover in Eldoret. And, uh, you know, like um, Ilio Kipchoge uh, right. trains in a town called uh, Kaptagat. And so, but it's all in the same area. They all belong to the same tribe, and E10 happens to be the epicenter of it. So that's where really the hub is. In the Rift Valley. They all have the, the thin legs, which is great for running economy. It makes them very economical runners because it doesn't cost a lot of oxygen to pick their leg up and put it down a million times. And, so it's a confluence of factors that make them so good. It's the socioeconomic situation there. It's obviously the genetics that they have. It's their intense desire. It's not having opportunities to do anything else. You know, like I believe in the U.S., I believe that a lot of our best distance runners are not running. I think they're doing something else. Right. 
because we have so many opportunities both in and out of sports. I mean, just in the matter of number of sports we have to choose from, it dilutes any one sport. Over there in Kenya, they don't have choices. They don't yeah. have the NFL to aspire to. They don't have the NBA. They don't have all these other sports to aspire to. For them, it's running. And soccer, soccer is, you know, soccer. the kids play soccer a lot on, you know, when we went to the school, we see kids playing soccer. And so, you know, they, they play soccer a lot there too. But, but uh, you know, even the same thing in Ethiopia, you know, all they have is running. That's culture. what they aspire to be. And so all of their talent is funneled into running. You know, even here, you know, how many how many great runners are converted soccer players? And, and then it just makes you think how many uh, great runners stay soccer players and never convert, you know, here. And, uh, you know, it's just um, it's just something that even, you know, now I see like a couple of the cross country kids are coming over now. They're they're You know, they had good outdoor track seasons and now they're coming over to run cross country instead because they realize that they're, you know, talented runners. But how many of those kids here just stay as soccer players and never, uh, you know, live their full their full potential? Potential just you know for one reason or another, right? And I mean that's the other thing about Kenya is that uh, they don't have like all the competitive seasons that we have in the U.S. And so one big thing that you notice when you run with them, and you know I knew this before, but you know it's great to see it in person when you're there is just the attention given to aerobic development. I mean these guys and girls they run a tremendous amount, and the U.S. especially you know, our middle school and high school system. You know, there's too much emphasis on speed work and interval training. There's too much emphasis on racing and the aerobic development gets sacrificed. You know, and I talk about this you know, quite a bit. I write about it a lot. I talk about it everywhere I go that, you know, we're, we're not developing our runners the way we need to in order for us to be the best runners in the world. And you know, everybody wants to know why we can't produce such great runners in a country of 325 million people. And, and there's many reasons, but one of them is because we just don't train the kids right. You know, we run them into the ground, and there's not enough emphasis on the aerobic development. And you, know, you can't just keep hammering with the interval training. The Kenyans do the intervals once a week, and it's controlled. They're not going out and flying around 200s and 400s as fast as they can. It's all controlled, meticulous work. And they combine that one day a week of intervals with a tremendous amount of aerobic development. And they do this from the time of their kids because they run back and forth to school. It's part of their life. You know, it's part of the way they live. They don't have cars. You know, just like if you own a cow, you're considered wealthy. It's the same thing with a car. Only the very wealthy people over there have cars. Everybody else, they walk and they run. And so by the time the Kenyans are 20 years old, they are so far advanced aerobically compared to the kids in, in the U.S., I'm always fascinated with just how slowly some of them will actually run some of the runs and yeah. just, you know, go into that aerobic development. And, you know, it's, you look at it and like we always, you know, even me coaching, you know, the easy days have to be easy. You have to be easy. You have to be easy. You don't understand that that's part of the science and building that aerobic engine. And, and, uh, you know, here, of course, America, bigger's better. And, uh, you know, the faster, the better. And I only ran slow. You know, I didn't run, you know, no slow or easy runs. But, you know, you take some, you know, everybody there is a sub 210, you know, for the most part, uh, marathoner. And, you know, you'd be surprised at how slow they run their, their easy runs. It's, you know, very, oh, yeah. very casual. It's yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, we were there. I mean, you know, we met uh, very elite runners when we were there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just... You know, like I said, they were pacing us on the runs, and we were going very slow. And so, yeah, it's it's that's one thing that they do there. That uh, for some reason, people in the U.S. just they don't they don't seem to get it. The, the easy days have to be excruciatingly easy, 
and then the hard days are hard, but they're hard not because they're running fast. They're hard because of the volume of work that they're able to do at a given pace. And that's really what makes a good distance runner. And then, you know, there's also a lot of science to that, that, you know, if you're doing a VO2 max workout, you run at VO2 max pace and you do as many reps as it takes to really cause a lot of fatigue because that's what you adapt to, the fatigue. That's why your body makes these responses to, you know, to add more protein, whether it's a mitochondria or a new blood vessel. You know, you make all these adaptations based on the stress. And unlike sprinting, where they're all about running fast, fast, fast all the time, distance running is all about the volume of work given and done at a given pace instead of always pushing the pace to get faster and faster. So I have a question for you. Obviously, you went over there with a lot of background knowledge about running. Can I say that? Yeah. So was there anything when you got over there that you were like, wow, that you kind of was an aha moment for you that maybe you didn't know before or something that, you know, you were just like, I didn't expect that? Uh, That's a good question. Probably the only thing that I realized is that there's really not, well, there's actually two things. One, there's not a lot of coaching going on there. There are a few coaches, uh, some coaches from around the world, like you have Colm O'Connell who coaches at, you know, St. Patrick's high school. And then, you know, after they graduate, he still coaches a lot of the the elite runners well after they graduate. And then there is another coach from Italy, Renato Canova, who's over there. So you have some coaches, but there's no Kenyan. All the coaches who are there are from other countries. You don't have a lot of Kenyan coaches, which is interesting. And there's not a lot of people who are co- only the very best, like only the ones who are really on the world stage. They're the ones who have coaches. The ones who are you know, the 200 plus people who are doing the Thursday fartlek and, and doing the intervals, most of them don't have coaches, but they are running groups together. So there is a system to what they're doing, but it's not a coach system. And then the other surprising thing was that there's not a lot of scientific training going on. They have the same pattern of training all year round. And so there's not a lot of science. Like with the fartlek, there's not a lot of science to it. They either do the three hard one easy, two hard one easy, or one hard one easy, and they rotate that week after week. So there's not a lot of variation in what they do at different parts of the year. There's certainly no periodization to what they're doing. And there's no uh, science behind what they're doing. They're just simply running a lot. They have the great genetics that are suited for running. And then it's the cultural aspect. You know, it's the intense desire. And then it's the group setting and the altitude. All of that comes into play, all of it together. Although I don't really think it's so much the altitude because, you know, the altitude is also given a lot of attention. But, you know, if you look at the history of running in the U.S., our best distance runners have historically come from sea level. So if altitude really had an impact, then you would expect the U.S.'s best distance runners to come from altitude, and that's not really the case. With a few exceptions, most of our best distance runners have been born and raised and trained at sea level. So, do you so think I don't think the altitude is as much of an issue as people make it out to that's be. That's interesting. I think more, yeah. yeah. I think it's more the culture combined with the, the genetic predisposition because, like I said before, it's not even all of Kenya. It's one specific part of Kenya, one specific tribe in Kenya that produces all of the best distance runners. It's fascinating that you say that. It seems like, like you said, it's more culture, like, like just like families have, you know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to get a coach to teach people how to behave in a family. It's just passed down generation to generation. And I think that's really interesting that there's not, like, I would expect you to say to me, you know, oh, I showed up at the track and there's this one guy who, you know, puts everyone in their right pace groups and they, this person does this and, And it's There's just, none of that going on. Yeah. There's none of that going fascinating. on. Fascinating. 
I'm, I'm surprised that you said that. The yeah. other thing that I love that you said was the fact that it doesn't, you know, it seems like, is it genetic, this or that? Well, it goes back to, you know, Brian and I have these conversations and we've said this with you before with people with all this technology and the wearables and the, you know, we're breaking down combinations of this and that. Well, it seems like they're going by feel, correct? Yeah, exactly. It, In fact, I'm glad you brought that up because there's no GPSs there. They don't wear GPSs on their right. arms. They don't, they don't have it. They have no money. They're not wearing iPods. They're not listening to Pandora on their, their – right. they don't slap their phone on their arm and go out. Not, there's none of that over there. You know, When they run, it's, it's work because they're all running with the intention of being the very best. So it's like, it's like they're going to work. It's like when a surgeon goes into the operating room, you're there to do a job and you're there to be a perfectionist. And, and that's the way they approach their running. And that's why they take their recovery just as seriously. You know, they're not doing all these other things that – that people in Western cultures do when they're not running, they rest and they're tending to their family and they're tending to their land. And, and, you know, they don't have all this technology there. They don't have all the cell phones. They don't have all the GPS devices. They don't have the heart rate monitors. Yeah. They're very in tune with their bodies and their training is all based on how they feel. You know, when they're out doing the fart, like the only time they know their pace is when they're on the track because it's a measured track. Right. So they have a stopwatch on, you know, they have a, a regular watch on their wrist. And they can time the intervals. But when they're out on the road or, or the, you know, their roads are the dirt trails, when they're out on that, when they're doing the fart lick, they don't know what pace they're running because they don't have a GPS. <laughs> That's cool. What I love that, all right, so I, I told the story to Brian. I, I think I told you this, but last year when I did Ironman, my, I have a Garmin watch and my battery died for whatever reason, I have no idea, died seven miles into the marathon. And if, you know, for the most, most people, I think they would have, their head would have exploded because they, you know, they're now so do do? into the numbers and the, you know, oh, I would need this pace or this. And if I don't do this or eat at this time or whatever bells and whistles go off, I hear these things going off in races that I was like, oh, my watch died. Well, I know how I feel. I know how to breathe. I know what a certain pace feels like. I didn't even know what my, I don't know where mile markers were. Like I was just like, I, I think this is where I'm at, but I think I know how I feel. And I know, I think that that, you know, for them over there, the most successful runners, and these are people that are just well beyond some of, you know, the running that, that we're doing in the United States. There's something to be said for that, to be so in tune, like you said, with your body, with whether it's your breath or your, you know, your cadence and your, you know, stride length that, you know, that's what's going to carry you. And, right. you know, there's a certain point of, you know, you can use technology to, yeah, but when it comes down to it, it seems like what you're saying over there is just like, pff, goes out the window and it's culture and it's how you feel. And, you know, and I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's huge. And I mean, the development of that feel is extremely important for a runner. I mean, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't emphasize that enough, especially when it comes to racing. It prevents you from going out too fast. And that's the mistake that most people make when they run a race. They start out too fast. And the reason they do that is because they let the excitement of the race get in the way and they haven't developed the feel of, of the pace. And so it, developing that feel is very important. You should be able to pick a pace and then go out and do it without looking at your watch. Yeah, blindly. You know, when I coach people, I tell them all the time, you know, I should be able to tell you, you go out and run a seven-minute mile or a six-minute mile, you should be able to do that without looking at your watch and know what the pace feels like. And that is invaluable for a runner to develop that internal pace clock. 
and they've got that, you know, to a T in over in Kenya. I mean, it's just remarkable. I mean, they're so in tune with their bodies because they have no choice. You know, they, it's, you know, they just, they know what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's just an interesting experience to be there and watch it up close and, and see how they work together, you know, for the sake of the group. There's no individualism. They're not, you know, it's funny because, again, working on not to bring it back to the NBA, but like when I took the organizational behavior class last semester, one of the things we talked about is different cultures and how like the U.S. is a very individualistic culture. We we praise individuals for their accomplishments. And over in Kenya, they're a very non-individualistic culture. It's all about the group. They help each other. They work together in groups. And that group dynamic lifts the entire group. It's, amazing. it's just remarkable. I get emotional when I talk about it because it's just such a remarkable thing to see. I mean, it, this is their life. It is their way out of poverty. You know, they live in such terrible conditions. But for them, you know, they don't know any difference. So they're not like yearning to live in a mansion in the U.S. You know, they're just they're very simple. I mean, even uh, Ilya Kipchoge, I mean, he lives a very modest life, even though, you know, he's probably one of the few millionaires over there. But he lives a very modest life. He could live anywhere in the world at this point. You know, world record holder in the marathon with all the attention he's been given. He's going to try to break two hours again this fall. And, you know, I mean, if he does it, I mean, he's he's going to be considered one of the best athletes ever, ever. across any sport. This guy could do anything he wants to do at this point. He's got enough money. But he still lives a very humble Kenyan lifestyle because he knows that that's the way for him to become the best he can be is to not cloud his life or crowd his life with all of the materialism. They're very non-materialistic over there. They just live very simple lives. They work together in groups to lift the group up. It's it's just like that, you know, here in the United States, we have, you know, courses and lectures and books and all these things about living minimalist lifestyles. And, and there, you know, it's, it's, it's how they live all the time. It's their culture. It's their way. Um, you right. know, with running included, which is like, okay, those are two things that'll make you happy, you know, and, and, and when you have those things, you don't necessarily, and you have your, you know, your people, your tribe and your, and your, you know, your community, you, you don't need much more. Um, you know, right. there's, there's no, there's no reason to impress the next person and all that stuff that we, uh, you know, we get into here, uh, in the U S someone just told me this morning that I was training, Christine, when I, when I go out and do my walking and running, like I, that's when I do my best thinking. I'm like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I come with the best ideas and I'm like, right, oh, right. We're getting it. Like we're getting somewhere. Yes, we are. Doc, doctor, I have a question just real quick on the, we'll wrap up the, uh, the Kenyan thing and I want you to plug everything and tell us how to, you know, they can come uh, with you next time. But, um, sure. the, the, I want to talk to you just really quickly about their long runs. What are their long runs like? And, and really let's, let's look at, um, mileage, like overall mileage. Uh, you know, here it's like that century mark the hundred and they're not eating gels and drinking gatorade like can you please oh, yeah, just they don't, yeah, they, don't, you, they don't have any of that stuff over there yet they yet they can they survive a run without carb loading for breakfast correct so what's a <laughs> what's a I'm long run like like how far would they go i mean obviously it's kilometers well, but yeah that varies a lot depending on what races they're training for if they're training for the marathon you know like when we ran with the the pacers um you know i remember one day we ran with this guy who uh he had run even before he met with us. We ran at 6.30 in the morning, and he had already done 30 kilometers, which is 18 miles, before he met with us to go for a run at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so, I mean, these guys, they're, they're up early. They, a lot of their runs are progressive in nature, that they start very, very slow, 
And then as the run goes on, they feel their bodies, they feel the run, and then they finish a lot faster than what they started. But it's not timed. It's not like, oh, five minutes, you know, I'm going to pick up the pace to this pace, and then at 10 minutes, I'm going to pick up. It's not, nothing is precise like that. It's just all feeling the run. But they all start out very slow and then get progressively faster as they feel good. And then, uh, you know, but they do a lot of volume. They may run, you know, well, this guy in particular, he was uh, training for an upcoming marathon. So that's why he ran on a 30 kilometer run that morning. But so, uh, so the weekly mileage will vary a lot, you know, depending on what, you know, what their goals are and what they're specifically training for. But uh, I don't even know if they keep track. I mean, even when he told us that they were running 30 kilometers, well, how do they know it's 30 kilometers? I mean, they have like these loops that they run and they know approximate distances just because they've been run so much over and over again. But you know, they ha- it's not measured. You know, they don't have roads there. They don't have GPSs, like we said. And so they don't know exactly how many kilometers or how many miles a week that they're running. But they know how long they're going out for. And time is always, you know, right. the, the biggest issue anyway. They don't so run they back and forth in front of their house. Excuse me? They don't run back and forth in front of their house until their watch kicks over to, uh, you know. They don't do that at all. You know, nothing is exact. I mean, the first day that we went out... You know, uh, they took us on a run and they said that they, you know, it was the first day. So they wanted us to, you know, be careful with the altitude and everything. And so they said, uh, we're going to run for just like 25, 30 minutes. And the run ended up being 50 minutes. <laughs> and so because they do these loops and they, you know, however long the loop takes to run, that's right. how long they do it. So you know, nothing is exact there. So you never know if you're going on a 5K run or an 8K run. And But that's, it's all fine. I mean, the time is what matters anyway. And so, uh, yeah, so their long runs usually start slower and get progressively faster. And a lot of their runs, that's how they, they take it, that they start very, very slow, and then they get progressively faster as they feel good, and, and then they finish a lot faster than what they started. I've On what you just said, you said depending on their training, what, what marathons are coming up or whatnot. Now, these you said it, this is very poor. How Where is the funding coming for yeah, signing up for these races? I'm that's a good yeah that's a good question so the the ones who don't have any money they're just racing in Kenya there's lots of races you know cross country is huge there right. they have lots of races in Kenya in fact there's a a marathon coming up uh, this weekend in uh, the the Lua marathon it's on a um a wildlife preserve there and so they have a lot of races there so a lot of them they want to run outside of Kenya because they want to get exposed they want to get a sponsor you know I actually get a lot, I have a lot of Kenyans through Facebook who are messaging me, wanting me to bring them over. They're always looking for an agent. They're always looking for people to bring them over to other countries because they have no way of doing it. And so it is tough for a lot of them. Like if you're not already on the brink of being the best in the world, then you're relegated to just racing in Kenya and hope that you run fast enough that an agent from another country will pick you up. And then they can sponsor you and bring you over to other countries to race. So that's the tough part for them because there's so much depth of competition there. That, and this is why they have such an intensity and urgency to be good because they know that it is their way out of Kenya. Otherwise, they just race in Kenya and hope that somebody notices them. So it's tough for them because they don't have the money to travel and pay the race entry fees and all those things. And So it, it's, it's a tough situation for them, and that's why they want to be so good because they want to be able to, to make it. It's kind of like – you know, if you want to make it in Hollywood, you know, you're bussing tables and waitressing and trying to become an actor and just doing whatever you can to scrounge around and make some money so that you can make it to Hollywood. It's kind of the same thing over there. They want to make the Hollywood of running. 
What's a different so they drive? race a lot within Kenya, so they don't have any, all the races in Kenya. I mean, they're free. They don't have to pay for these local races. So, yeah, that's how they spend their time is just training and then racing around Kenya so they can try to become good enough that an agent will pick them up. Yeah, I think there's a difference, too, that different internal drive, whereas, you know, someone over there, you're racing. And again, in many third world countries, what's driving you is a better life. And sometimes that's not always the case for people that come from money and, and people that, you know, may have a sense of entitlement. And I think there's something to be said for that as well with, with right, what you've exactly. seen. I mean, the, there's absolutely no sense of entitlement there. I mean, they, they just, they don't have that situation there. All right. So, uh, this is fascinating and, and I, and I'm, you know, I love this stuff and, uh, we're happy to have you come on and tell your, tell your story, but we want, uh, people to come and join you next time. So tell us, how uh, yeah, so, uh, people can get in touch with you and yeah, book a trip. So I'm ex- so excited to be able to do my own camp over there. I mean, it's going to be a mix of of running with the Kenyans and the signs. So we'll spend a lot of time, and we're going to delve into the you know how to train. So we're going to talk all about how to train and then practice it with the Kenyans. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. I'm so excited for this. I mean, I wish the whole world could come with me. So uh, it's on my website. So it's runfit.com/runkenyacamp. And it's an all-inclusive package. We'll stay at the high-altitude training center, and all the meals are covered. You know, have a, they have a little dining hall there. They we cover all the meals. So the only thing that people will have to pay for is one price for the camp, and they can pick a single room or a double room, and I'll connect them with roommates if they need a roommate, or they can come with somebody else, and then they can share a room. And uh, then they have to pay for their travel over there. So it's funny because the travel will actually be more expensive than the camp. So as long as people can, you know, afford the travel and pay for the camp, then everything's inclusive. They won't have to spend any money there. They won't have to worry about, you know, having to have money on them. And uh, we'll take care of everything. So it's going to be fantastic. I mean, I think it'll be even better than the experience I had when I was there because we're going to dive deep into training and then get to practice what we learn running with the Kenyans. And it's 10 days, you said? Yeah, January 8th to the 18th. Unbelievable. All right. So... And then you are going to be live in New Jersey at Monmouth University. And how can people sign up for that? So that's on the, uh, that's on the Revolution Running website, so revolutionrunning.com, with a two after the O for running economy, VO2 max, lactate threshold. So revolutionrunning.com, there's a whole list of the live courses. So, yeah, July 14th will be at Monmouth to teach the course. I'm looking forward to that as well. That'll be a lot of fun. And I know we didn't even talk about your books except the new one coming out, which we're super excited. But where can everyone go to buy your books and whatnot? Uh, the easiest place is Amazon, of course. They're the, the biggest online book retailer. <laughs> so, uh, they're all on my website on runfit.com as well. But uh, Amazon's I usually send people to Amazon because that's the easiest place to get them. Perfect. There you have it. So we're going to obviously put all of this information up on our social media platforms. We'll send it to you. You send it out and let's do it. We're excited because we are actually get to see you next month in, uh, in person. So Brian and I are going to, uh, actually stop by and, um, hopefully get together with you and, uh, high fives. Maybe do a little run and um, oh, that'd be great. really come excited. Back to Home Del Park while I'm there. I told you I ran Home Del Park this morning. It's still there. Oh, Everything's still it. there, just like you left I, it. I got it. I think it's a little faster course now than I, when I left. Yeah, it. there's no doubt about it. Yeah, they were grooming the course. I said, "This is this is horseshit." <laughs> this, course, this course was never groomed in the past. Yeah. 
That's all right. I, I would love to come back there and run a race. I'm curious to see what I can run there compared to what I raced there in high school. Well, you know what? It's still early in the season. What I noticed is when I came out of the backwoods, the uh, the little path that's usually carved into the into the grass there, there's like a little dirt path, um, was kind of grown over. So I said, uh, the kids have some work to do here, uh, and it's <laughs> it's not quite. By the time you get here, though, uh, you know you'll they'll they'll the cross country kids will be out and about. I was up there working with some this morning, and uh, it's uh, tons of fun. It's a great place. Wow, very good. All right. right. So thank you so much for coming on and talking. I know Brian and I were really excited to hear all about Kenya and what's going on. And, you know, if you just want to bring us with you, we'll document everything in January. So we'll talk about that later. And otherwise, (laughs) Dr. Carve, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I love talking about this stuff with you guys. All right. Well, we geek out on it just like you do. Oh, God, yes. So with that said, it's Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.